Are you struggling with your child's tantrums? Our guest is encouraging parents to rethink tantrums and anger and instead of punishing a child for lashing out, says it's vital to understand the root cause of the behaviour. Michael Hempseed is the director of Frontiers of Hope, a specialist mental health service in Christchurch. He's worked with Dame Sue Bagshaw for many years at Tatahi Youth, the youth health centre that she founded, formerly called 298 Youth Health. Together they've penned Calming Your Child, De-Escalating Tantrums, Anxiety, Aggression and Other Challenging Behaviours. They have techniques for de-escalating tantrums as well as looking at the possible causes behind problem behaviour. Kia ora, Michael. Welcome. Good, good morning. So tell us more about your work with Dame Sue Bagshaw. We've interviewed her many times, including the work she's done at her clinic. How long have you worked together? I think we started working together in about 2013, so almost a decade. And how has this informed this book you've written together? One of the things that we've seen over the years is a lot of the people that are neglected by the system and often are put in the too hard basket. And a lot of these people really struggle to find help. So both of us have done a lot of work in this space. You are a psychologist? I've got an honours degree in psychology um, and I you know, try and educate people about some of the latest research in this field. So bring us to the book and the stepping off point for it, I guess. Yeah. One of the things we saw was there were so many families that were in severe trouble because their children were misbehaving. And I think we often don't understand just how much of an impact this can have on families. Uh, Dame Sue and I, we've both seen uh, families that have experienced relationship breakups because of challenging behaviour with children. I've even seen some very good teachers leave the field because they don't know how to manage this. One of the things we wanted to say is that there's actually a reason for this behaviour, but also in almost all cases the behaviour can be changed and some of these problematic situations don't need to go ahead. So we're going beyond the terrible two tantrum behaviour, we're going beyond what might be seen as a sort of a typical developmental behaviour to something that is more problematic. Very much so. And it's important to remember that, yes, for all children and even adults, it's normal to have the odd tantrum here and there. Um, I'm sure all adults at some point get really frustrated with things. So anger can be a normal part of life. But what we're talking about here is much more than that. We're talking about children that have, in some cases, 10, 20, 30, 40 tantrums a day. What you have also seen was that the pandemic events led to more children and more young people needing help with this and of course in Christchurch goodness the earthquakes the mosque attacks the pandemic it has had a really demanding time very much so and for a lot of people we think well this was in the past however one of the things we know is that the body can remember trauma and it can relive this over and over again so take the earthquakes for example although they were over a decade ago if someone has PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder they will relive that event as if they're going through it again and again so for these people this is not in the past this is not something they can just get over it's something that plays out every single day for them. What age are we talking about with calming your child? As I said, developmentally we think of those toddler years, preschool years, perhaps early school years as prime territory. But is your, is your definition of childhood in this context much longer? The book was written for children between the ages of about 4 and 12. However, we found uh, some people with adult children have said they read it and they also found it helpful for understanding some of the situations that they might be going through. 
So let's define what we're talking about with these behaviours that, as I said, are particularly problematic and may take more than some patience um, to resolve. Give us some examples. Uh, So a normal example would be um, maybe a child gets a bit upset if they don't get their homework in on time or they get a bad grade. The kind of behaviour that we might see is a child will punch holes in walls, they'll kick an adult. Uh, We've heard stories of children sitting under a table and crying for one or two hours because there's a minor mistake on a piece of homework. That is not a normal reaction. That is well and truly above and beyond what we would expect. And the the parental responses that you're talking about, is there an inclination uh, to punish in in, in the broadest sense of the word or to correct or to discipline? rather than to uh, seek to understand? What's the range of parental response you've seen? Just before I get to that, I think it's really important to point out that families genuinely try and do the absolute best they can. We didn't write this book to criticise. However, sometimes people have been given really bad advice. I went to a library and I looked through all the books on parenting and it amazed me how many of them were about behavioural modification, that it assumed this child is deliberately being naughty and they need to have you know boundaries and punishments put in place. And there wasn't an awareness that this could be a result of, say, trauma, this could be a result of lack of sleep or sensory issues. So you're seeing some responses like sticker charts, timeouts, routines and and um, rewards. Uh, can you speak a little bit more to some of the techniques that you might employ? Certainly. So we need to understand that, first of all, if a child's misbehaving, they are distressed. And as an adult, when we're distressed, we don't think clearly. If someone just says to us, calm down, and we're running late for work, or um, we've jammed the photocopier a minute or two before an important meeting, we're in a panicked state, and we don't think clearly. So what we need to do is understand that someone's in a reactive part of the brain, they need to be calmed down. And instead of trying to punish people, instead of talking about you know future rewards, like with sticker charts, that next week you'll get an ice cream or something like that, We need to understand in the here and now, this person is distressed and they need things that can calm them down. One of the things we talk about a lot in the book is using sensory objects. The hands receive a lot of information. If you've ever had a little paper cut, you'll know that tiny paper cut really hurts. So you get a lot of information from the hands. And there's a big movement around the world to find things like, you know, um, different types of material, maybe a rock. Um, a little soft toy and sometimes um, holding this in your hand, touching it, feeling the little parts of it, that can actually take a child's mind off the immediate distress that they have and um, hopefully try and start to regulate them. Those little squishy balls, are they another option for all the rage? They are. Mm. And we've been amazed that not only do these things work with very young children, they often work with adults and I'm sure all of us in the last three and a half years have had an immensely stressful time. A lot of these techniques, they can actually work very well to calm an adult down as well. Because they're sensory, they're physical. Uh, Interesting, uh, just referencing Bruce Perry, a former guest and and something of a guru, uh, those three R's, regulate, relate, reason. The first one is to regulate, get those emotions under control. One of the things that we often do is we often try and do it backwards. We often try and reason with someone. We say something like, if you don't calm down or if you don't stop misbehaving, you won't go to a movie next week, you won't get a reward. 
The problem is when we're in that reactive brain state, we don't think about the future, so trying to reason with someone doesn't work. We need to start with the regulation, understanding that this person is highly distressed and we need to calm them down. Some of those other rules, one of the things you suggest is that very early you say you're not in trouble. You take that off the table. It's quite amazing that for a lot of children, uh, if you start saying something like, what are you going to do now? The immediate thing a lot of children think is they think, I'm in trouble. And when a lot of children think they're in trouble, their behaviour actually gets worse. They get more upset. They get more distressed. If you start by saying, you're not in trouble. I want to try and help you. What can we do in this situation? A lot of people, that will immediately calm them down. Physical space, if a child feels physically trapped, uh, and also a child who's anxious, who's who's dealing with these matters, needs personal space. Where you position yourself, Eden, or where you allow them to be positioned, can that be relevant? Very much so. And it's important to know that this differs from person to person. Some people, when they're distressed, they will want a hug, they will want an adult to be there for them, and that's a great way to calm them down. Other people, they actually find it very intimidating having an adult close to them and they get more and more distressed. One of the things that Bruce Perry does is he says to people when they come into his office, would you like me to move closer to you or further away? And he's found that many people that have experienced significant trauma, they actually want a distance of a metre or a metre and a half between an adult and the person. So sometimes if there's an adult that's too close, people feel trapped. And when we feel trapped, that escalates our behaviour. What to say, this timeless advice to acknowledge how someone is feeling, rather than trying to change the behaviour, change how they're feeling or distract them, first acknowledge, yeah? Very much so. One of the things that went, and this applies to adults as well, when an adult's upset, we try and make it all better for them. I was recently in the Hawke's Bay, and a number of people were told things like, You don't know, not maybe exactly like this, but you don't know how lucky you are you lost your house. You could be in Ukraine or it could be so much worse. And when we hear people trying to make it all better, we want to punch the person. You know, that escalates us, that angers us, it doesn't de-escalate us. The way to really um, take the heat out of a situation is to acknowledge the pain that someone's in. So if someone comes in and they're angry, instead of saying, oh, you've come in with the wrong attitude, you need to go out and start again. If you say something like, it looks like you've had a really tough day, acknowledge what they're going through, show some empathy, and usually that listening immediately de-escalates the situation. Of course, the parent themselves is dealing with some stressful feelings, and, and this is where it can go wrong, including the temptation to humiliate or mock, but that just triggers fight or flight even more. Very much so. And one of the things we talk about in the book is that as an adult, you have to try and think, how am I dealing with this situation? It can be very, very tough having a child that's having a tantrum. And if this has been going on for months and months, it is absolutely exhausting. And many people are at breaking point. So it's important to know that, you know, we all have limits. As adults, I don't think anyone's expected to manage a child with so many behavioural problems well. So it's important to know you can step out of the room for a little bit, you can walk away as long as the child's not in danger, you can take some time for yourself, try and compose yourself. 
uh, we think it was Bruce Perry that originally said an escalated adult cannot de-escalate um, an upset child. You so me- if you're not in a good space, you can't do it yourself. You mentioned using touch uh, as a physical or a sensory kind of... Um, what's the word? Modulation. Prompt, Prompt. Yeah. 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 What was your word? Modulation. Modulation, technique. okay. What other senses can be useful? S- smells, for example... Yeah, one of the things that's been discovered about smell is it goes directly to the emotional and memory parts of the brain. So smells can be unfortunately very triggering, but they can also be very calming. One study that we referenced in the book found that the smell of uh, jasmine can be equally calming and therapeutic as Valium used to be. You know, people used to sniff that if they were anxious and upset. So sometimes um, smells can be a really good way to calm people down. And that's a bit out of the box thinking because we don't necessarily think about some of those things. But we've found that smells can very quickly escalate some people. But if you have a smell that people find calming, it can really quickly soothe them. Let's talk about some of the deeper issues that might be at play. Uh, And first, the ones that might be straightforward. A lot of this is just about helping children build connections and friendships and a rounded kind of a rounded human experience, but also ways of triggering those positive hormones that we know make us feel bonded or make us feel happy, yeah? Very much so. And one of the things we know is that in terms of psychological resilience, the biggest predictor of happiness and long life is deep, positive and stable connections. And I feel in the modern world with devices, we have less opportunities for that. So being able to connect with people and not just expecting children to know how to make friends, but actually teaching them how to make friends, how to connect with people. If a friend upsets you, instead of cutting them out of your life, maybe talk to them about it and try and resolve the situation rather than just unfriending them. Simple, but really, um, it's easy to see how it's fallen off the radar. A simple piece of advice is how much kids need fun, and yet their nervous systems have been overloaded um, in unhealthy ways through various events, and you've just got to make time for it, make sure it's built into into lives, no matter how much stress families or, or communities might be under. Yeah, we didn't mention this in the book, but one of the things that seems to have happened is we've lost fun in the modern world. Just if you take the McDonald's building, for example, in the 90s it used to be this bright red and yellow building, and now it's often grey or brown. And there just seems to have been this loss of fun in the world. And I think that's something that children need. They need to have those moments of silliness. They need to have those moments where everything isn't serious. And that's something that we really need um, children to have much more of. And I feel like in a lot of times it's all about homework, it's all about getting the right grades. And we even put this on four-year-olds that, you know, if you don't learn this by this age, you won't get into Harvard Medical School or something like that. The pressure we put some children on is just not what their brains are designed for. Michael, just before we, we get to some questions, we also need to talk about the potential causes for problem behaviour that may go beyond... Uh, a particular stressful situation or um, you know, a, a manageable heightened anxiety because of the way the world is or the way it's been in some kids' lives of late. What are some of the deeper matters that might need further intervention and how does a parent know? There's so many, but I'll just talk about two. One of them is sleep. There's lots of studies coming out showing that if people don't get the right quality of sleep and the right amount of sleep, they tend to become very angry and aggressive. 
The other major one is what's called sensory issues. So this is where people perceive the world either more intensely or more softly than other people. If someone walks on concrete, most of us just hear those footsteps as quiet sounds. If you have sensory issues, each one of those footsteps could sound like someone banging a hammer on an anvil next to your head. And if we had that as adults, we'd be totally overwhelmed. And we're discovering that huge numbers of children seem to have sensory issues. It's often not being picked up. And we find that it's not just about sounds, it can be about smells, it can be about uh, things like tags on clothing, the inside seams of socks. And a lot of people are overwhelmed by the world. And when we're overwhelmed, our behaviour tends to deteriorate. The question is what you can do. We all know that it's hard to get these or other actual conditions, diagnosable conditions, diagnosed, to get access to the services to do so. So if you have strong evidence that this is an issue, what can you do? Yeah, sometimes just being aware of this can be really helpful. Uh, For example, one child I know of um, that had autism, I think they were having 20 or 30 meltdowns every single day. We suggested the family got um, noise-cancelling headphones, and then maybe they had one tantrum a day. So that meant they were overwhelmed by the sounds in their world, and sometimes there's simple solutions like that. Uh, The mental health service I run, Frontiers of Hope, we're really trying to make sure that treatments for some of these conditions are widely available throughout New Zealand for the people that need them. Some questions, please. How do you deal with headbanging on the floor or wall when a nearly three-year-old boy with excellent language skills is told no by adults? And just a proviso with uh, some of these answers, all I can do is give general advice about this. I don't know these specific situations. Generally speaking, when someone bangs their head, that is a sign they're in an extreme state of distress. That means they're so overwhelmed, they're in such a um, difficult and distressing place, they want whatever's going on to stop. And often they repeatedly bang their head as that. Usually that's a sign that um, something pretty serious is going on. Um, as I mentioned, sensory issues, that's a really big one that we find. A really common predictor of that is headbang behaviour. Uh, so if that person's very welcome to contact Frontiers of Hope. We could look at some options there. Um, talk to them and say, like, do you get overwhelmed by loud noises? And then maybe there's things like the food processor that you need to stop using when you're around or the vacuum cleaner. But it's about trying to work out what's really going on here. You know, headbang is a very clear sign that someone's totally overwhelmed. This correspondent, my parents think that I should blanket ignore my toddler's tantrums because, quote, we should ignore bad behaviour and reward good. They think tantrums are attention-seeking and negative. What do you think about this as it doesn't sit right with me? Yes, there's a couple of things there. We sometimes use the words attention-seeking as a negative, but often people that are supposedly seeking attention, what they might be trying to say is, I'm distressed, I need help, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what to do. And if we reframe it in those uh, terms, then we can start to see that this person is actually distressed and they actually need some help. So it's really important to understand if it's a one-off tantrum, if someone gets upset because, um, I don't know, the sandwiches weren't cut in the right shape triangles or something like that, you know, you can ignore things like that. But if this is happening repeatedly, that means there's a sign that this child really is trying to tell us something. They're trying to communicate to us 
things aren't good in my life, I need help. And so we need to respond to that. Michael, thank you very much. Michael Hempseed is with Dame Sue Bagshaw, co-author of Calming Your Child, De-Escalating Tantrums, Anxiety, Aggression and Other Challenging Behaviours. As we said, it goes beyond uh, the so-called terrible twos. It's aimed at children aged from 4 to 12, but possibly even a wider age range than that.